Let's together welcome Van Cochran, our senior pastor, for the message. Thanks, Luke. Hey, good morning, everyone. Isn't it awesome to be here today? I mean, uh, yeah. I think it's awesome to be here every week. Every week is just wonderful, but especially today when we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and, and what that means to all of our lives and how that can impact our lives and change the trajectory of our lives. Hey, before we get into that, um, I, I have a brief joke for you, okay? All right, so there was this uh, preacher and a cab driver, both died and they both went to heaven and they're standing outside the pearly gates in Peter's. This isn't really the way it happens, okay, folks? I just want to say that. Peter is not at the pearly gates letting people in or not, okay? Um, You get in because you've trusted in Jesus, not because of your works or because of your goodness or because of your religious, religious uh, affiliation or anything like that. It's, it's because you know Jesus. We're going to talk about that later. But at any rate, for the sake of the joke, these two guys are standing there. And St. Peter says, well, what did you do? And he says, well, I was a preacher. And so he says, all right, give this preacher a, a cloth robe and a wooden staff and let him in. And so he goes through the gates. And next is this cab driver, and the cab driver, uh, Peter says, give him a silk uh, cloak and a golden staff and let him in. And the preacher's not too far ahead there. He hears what he said, and so he turns around and he says, hey, wait a second. I'm a preacher, and and he's a cab driver. Why did he get so much more than me, such better uh, equipment than me? And Peter said to him, well, listen, pastor. He said, here, position doesn't count. It's only results. And when you preached, people slept. When he drove, people prayed. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, Lord, we're so thankful that uh, knowing you doesn't depend upon our goodness. It doesn't depend upon our works. But, Jesus, you already did it. You paved the way. You paid the price. You opened all the doors for us to come into relationship with you through the Holy Spirit and with God the Father. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for your victory at the cross and the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I titled my message today, Christ the Victor. And I want to emphasize that that is what the resurrection was. It was a victory. It was a battle fought and a battle won and a victory. And it, when we look at it as other, we're, we're missing the full breadth of what the, um, sorry, I'm getting distracted here. Let's just get everybody seated that's coming, okay? Hey, Don, Don, seat, seat folks in the back there, okay, instead of right here in the front, okay? Thank you. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. You know, I, I take Adderall every day. I am so ADD. It just doesn't. It doesn't take doesn't take much for me to get distracted. So, all right. So the uh, where were we? Victory. That's right. For 1,100 years, 
the, the main focus of the atonement and work of Christ was Christos Victor. And, and that's Christ the Victor. And it wasn't until 1100, a theologian named Anselm came along and he started to push as the main piece of the gospel, the idea of forgiveness for sins. Now being forgiven for our sins is at the heart of the gospel. There's no question about that. It's at the core of the whole thing. But it's, it's not the big picture. Being forgiven for sins in our culture has become so popular because in American culture and in Western culture, we have been a black and white, right or wrong, guilty or not guilty culture. And so it's flowed with us to think, well, I was a sinner. I owed a price. The price was paid. Now it's paid. I'm free. I get to go to heaven when I die. But, and, that's, and as I said, that's so much a part of the gospel and, and key to the heart of the whole thing. But it's not the full picture. If you stop there, you're missing so much of, of the totality of what Christ did. And the idea that Christ is the victor is something that's all-encompassing. It encompasses the idea that Jesus paid for our sins. He took the penalty. We can be forgiven. But it also encompasses the idea that we can be made righteous. We're born again. We become new creations. New. Righteous means made right. It means I am changed on the inside so that I am what God intended me to be at the beginning. I am what I would have been if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned. We become righteous. We are empowered. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are redeemed. There are so many facets to the gospel that this idea, Christ the victor, is, is uh, the concept that I believe best encompasses the whole thing because it really pictures the whole Christian life and everything God's done in the world as warfare. And, and it has been warfare. I mean, how many of you would not attest to the fact that simply living at times feels like warfare? It does. Sometimes, sometimes staying married, you're battling for your marriage. You're fighting for your marriage. Sometimes raising kids, you're fighting for your children. You're battling for them in prayer and in life and, 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 and how you relate to them. And, and this life is so much warfare. But the idea of Christ the victor finds its origins and its roots in this thought that there is a usurper. And that usurper is Satan, the devil. And he usurped God's authority and he inserted a counter kingdom of darkness into this world that was never God's intention. Well, it wasn't God's intention for this world to be filled with all the pain and the grief and the suffering and the heartache and death, the death. When Adam and Eve chose to follow Satan's advice rather than to submit to and follow God's leading, what they did, they brought death into the world. And that, that means more than just physical death. You know, physical death most certainly, but they didn't actually physically drop dead the day that they sinned. But, but death entered in that day, and they died spiritually that day. And death has all of these ramifications of being, well, well loneliness is in some respects a form of death. Uh, rejection is a form of death. Sickness is a form of death. Anger and bitterness that we embrace into our hearts is a form of death. A lack of forgiveness of others can be a form. All of these are forms of death. And Jesus came to... Take it back from Satan. The very beginning, God said, 
he's going to crush, he's going to, he's going to wound your heel, but you're going to crush his head. And he was speaking of the Messiah. The Messiah would come. Jesus would come. His heel would be wounded, but he would crush Satan's head. And that right at the very beginning was a statement of warfare and a statement of incredible victory. Now, we live right now, in the past year or so, we've seen some very incredible victories. We've seen some improbable wins, uh, starting with the Cubs last year in the World Series. Man, I mean, they, they were down three to one. This is a seven-game series. They're down three games to one. That means they have to win three games in a row, and they did it. First championship in 108 years for the, for the Cubs. The NBA championship was very similar. Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Cleveland itself had not had a champion in 52 years in any of the major sports. And so the NBA, Cleveland Cavs, down three to one, playing a team that was probably better than them. They came back, won three games in a row, and won the series. Nobody thought that would happen. Nobody would have thought that was possible. You see the presidential election. I mean, how many people were surprised after looking at all the polls and all the predictions at how that turned out? Another uh, amazing upset, victory. And then you come to the Super Bowl. Now, I'm a Steelers fan, okay? If you know the, if you know the Super Bowl, the Patriots won the Super Bowl. Oddly enough, this year I was cheering for the Patriots. They were down 28 to 3 with a little more than a quarter to go, and they came back and won the game. First time, biggest deficit ever overcome in a, in a Super Bowl, and the first Super Bowl that went into overtime, and they won it. It was just unbelievable. And in all of these sporting events, at least, and I know in the Super Bowl, there were some key moments you could look at, and you could say they were turning point moments. They were almost like miraculous moments. Uh, One of them, if you watched the game, towards the end of the game, the Atlanta Falcons had an incredible, their top receiver had this incredible reception right on the sideline, and you thought, okay, that's the game. All they have to do is go out and kick the field goal, and they win. Uh, so incredible moment, but then an incredible series of plays and they lose 22 yards and they're out of field goal range. That's, that's crazy. That's unbelievable. Later, the Patriots have the ball and there's a catch that was made. That was the most improbable catch I've ever seen. It was just unbelievable. These key moments that everything else hinged on. You could probably find those in the presidential election. And I'm sure in these other, in these other, um, sporting events as well. But uh, we're not here to talk about sports, are we? Or do you want to just keep talking about sports? I think we want to talk about Jesus's victory, don't we? That's why we're here. Some of you are here today and you're saying, if you knew my life, I'm, I'm not down 28 to three, I'm down 50 to three. And, and I'm at the, it's, it's, you know, we're at a point right now where I, I need more than just a key moment. I need more than just a big catch. I need a miracle. I, I need one of those key moments where God steps in and he releases his power in life and everything changes. And if that's what you're here needing today, then I've got really good news for you because that's exactly what Jesus is in the business of doing. And ever since his resurrection, victory has been in the air. Ever since his resurrection, victory has been as close as your breath. 
It, it, it has been as, as, as close as the, as, as the thoughts in your heart and in your mind and your ability to say yes to him. Because at, cro- at the resurrection, the cross, Jesus crushed the head of Satan. At the resurrection, he burst out of that grave and he released the power of the kingdom. And this power of the kingdom is still here today. So just ask yourself this. What if the power that was exercised to bring Jesus out of that grave is still here today? Ask yourself that. What if, what if that's the case? What if the power of the resurrection is still lingering in the air today? What if it was God's plan all along to release power that would be here through the centuries that would enable us all to enter into the victory of Christ and, and to break with the world as we know it, which is under the influence of the enemy still? What if that were the case? What if it were possible for you just to reach out and take hold of it and say, I want that victory in my life? That, that would be life-changing, wouldn't it? That everything would be new. Everything would be different. Well, that's exactly what the Bible says is available. Jesus himself. <clears throat> My throat's a little raw from singing first service, I think. You have great worship coming up here in a few moments. You know, the Bible talks about God-ordained moments. It talks about moments in time where God steps in, where God offers something. In fact, there's a word in the Bible, <clears throat> the Greek term kairos. And there are other terms in, in the Greek New Testament that refer to time. Kairos means time in the sense of a specific moment, not a chronology of events, not a chronology of time, but a specific moment, a moment of opportunity, a kind of a divine moment. When God offers something and all you have to do is say yes to it. All you have to do is receive it and take it and it changes everything. Jesus uh, offered to a blind man once. He said, what do you want me to do for you? And for that blind man, that was a Kairos moment. That was a divine moment of opportunity. Another time, a young man came to him who was a very successful businessman, wealthy. And he asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Jesus looked into his heart and he saw that this man loved all of his possessions way too much. And he said, well, if you're going to, if you're going to love God, you, you know, for you, you're going to have to sell all that stuff, get rid of it because it has too big, tight of a grip on your heart and then come and follow me. That man turned away sad. He left his Kairos moment. He walked away. Now, I'm not saying he didn't have other opportunities, but that was a moment, a God-given moment of destiny for him. There was another day Jesus met a woman at a well, and this woman had lived a hard life. She had been uh, abused and used by men, married five times, had other men that she lived with that took advantage of her. All the women in the village wouldn't have anything to do with her, so she has to go draw her water in the middle of the day, the worst time of the day. That just happens to be when Jesus came by. And he's talking to this woman, and he says to her, to this, this woman who has such a broken life, such a pain-filled life, and she is the very first one that he revealed himself to as Messiah. 
And he told her, I, I'm, I'm the one speaking to you. I am the Messiah. And he also said to her, I have living water. You think this water, I, you need this water to live. Well, I have living water. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit and spiritual water that he could give to her. And for that woman, that was a Kairos moment. And she embraced it. She said yes to it. She went back to her village and told everybody what had happened. The whole village then comes out and they want to know who Jesus is. And they listen to him teach. And the whole village believes in Jesus. Jesus then. That was a key opportune moment. Now, Jesus lived with power. I want to say it like this. It's almost like there's power in the air and Jesus was like Wi-Fi. Okay. He was directly connected to the kingdom and everywhere he went, he power was, was just coming out from him. You can see that in the Bible. It's real clear. In Luke 3.16, it says... <clears throat> They were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And and the crowds are looking at Jesus and they're saying, he not only speaks powerful words, but when, when he says something, he releases power that makes things happen. I have a friend who just told me this story recently that uh, year, several years ago, he, he was dealing with this great fear that he had in his life. And if you heard his whole story, <clears throat> you'd understand why he feared. But he went to a conference where God was working in a powerful way. And someone asked him, what do you want me to pray for you about? And he went forward for prayer. And he said, fear, I have this problem with fear, irrational fear. And, and this woman prayed for him. And he said, the next thing he knows, he's screaming at the top of his lungs and lying, on the, lying flat on the floor. He doesn't know how long he laid there. But uh, when he got up, he said he was free. He said, it felt like I had a 200-pound weight lifted off my back. He said, it felt like there had been like this gorilla hanging over his back. And he whispered in, and and he said, he whispered in my ear and said, it's okay, we're buddies. We're going to make it okay. We're going to live together like this. We'll make it through life together. And of course, that's a horrible way to live. But here it says that Jesus had the authority and power to say to unclean spirits like that, out, and they were gone just like that. And so you read then in Luke five seventeen, it says the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Again, power. In Luke six nineteen, I love this one. The people were trying to, this is my Wi-Fi verse for Jesus. The people were trying to touch him for power was coming out from him and healing them all. Yeah, if you just get close enough and touch him, there's power there. And so Jesus was here in, in, this, in this life. He, he showed us what the kingdom of God was like, freedom and power and life. But his intent was never that he would keep that. The intent was never that Jesus would come and he would be the man who would have all the power and people from all around the world would come to him and and good things would happen. His intent all along was that he would give it to all of his people because he didn't want to have just one Wi-Fi signal in the world. Okay, he wanted to have millions of Wi-Fi signals in the world. And so when you come to Jesus, based upon his resurrection and his ascension to the Father, he pours out the Holy Spirit on us. And so that gives you and me as believers who are filled with his spirit, then then we carry power. We walk in power and in life. And not not only do we experience it for ourselves to be freed, but then we we carry it with us everywhere we go uh, to free others. So... 
What if, since the resurrection of Jesus, resurrection power has just been lingering in the air? What if it's still there? I mean, look around the air. Do you see it? Uh, There's all sorts of things in the air here. You know that. There are Wi-Fi signals in the air right now. There are cell phone signals in the air right here. Radio signals, uh, other, other broadcast signals all around us, going through us. But you don't see them, do you? But they are there. What if the resurrection power of Jesus is just as real and it's just as close? You know, in Hebrews or in Romans 10, uh, paraphrasing, it says, you don't have to climb a mountain to find God. You don't have to cross an ocean to find God. You don't have to ascend to heaven to find God or go down into the abode of the dead to find, find God because he's near you. His word is near you. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. That means it's, your, it's as close as your breath. It's right here, right here with us. And what we have to do is just open our hearts to it. Signals in the air. All right, let's listen to this. You know, I remember in 1990, I read an article in the paper that said, uh, in 10 years, everyone will carry a phone around in their pocket. And people will even have phones they'll wear on their wrists, just like Dick Tracy. Anybody here old enough to remember Dick Tracy? Okay. Okay, for those that aren't, Dick Tracy was a cartoon character from like the 50s. And he was futuristic, and he had a watch that acted like a cell phone, like, like smartphones today, or smart watch phone watches today. Okay, so here it is. I'm going to pull something out of the air just to prove to you that there's stuff there, all right? So listen up. Can you hear it? All right. That's real, isn't it? Even though... I can't see it or touch it. It is real. And I want to say the power and the life of Jesus Christ and the resurrection power that was released is just as real. And the way you take hold of it is, you, God, at the very least, say this, God, if you're real, I want you. If, if you're real, I want you. And if you can see it, if, if, you, if, if there's this thing happening where you can say, I can see that, it is real, I know it's real, then you just say, here I am, Lord, here I am, I want you, I want you. So let's do that right now, okay? Anyone that you're just not sure, but would you just pray with me and just say, God, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this, say that to him, just say that to him, I'm struggling with this, but if you're real, if this guy's right, the Bible's right, And if resurrection life is here right now and you are here right now, then I want to know you. And I want you to come into my life and make me new. Jesus' name. Listen, for any of you that... um, that, that you're saying, yeah, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it right now. Then just say the same thing. Jesus, I see it. I see it. I want you. I want you in my heart. I want you in my life. Just say that and he'll release his power right into you right now. And there will be change that will happen. So this, this whole idea of Jesus as the victor, uh, we, we want to look at that a little more in a little more depth. When Jesus came, he announced uh, his purpose. He announced why he was here. And he said this in Luke four eighteen and 19. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's good. Do you feel like you're poor? 
Maybe you feel like physically you're just in financial difficulty and trouble. He came to give you good news. But if you're spiritually poor, if you feel like you know, God's distant, I can't find him. He came to say good news. He's here. He's right here. You can find him today. To proclaim uh, liberty to the captives. Sight to the blind. If, do you have physical healing issues? Or are you, are you struggling with things in life you just can't get freed from? then he says he's going to give you liberty and liberty to the oppressed, freedom and liberty. And then finally, he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the year of the Lord's favor was in the Old Testament. Every 49 years, they had what they called the year of Jubilee. And what that meant was every 49 years, all debts were forgiven. All debts were wiped off, wiped off the books. Every 49 years, all land reverted back to its original family ownership because God wanted all of his people to own land so they could live and provide for themselves. And every 49 years, anyone that was an indentured servant was set free. And so it's this favor of the Lord, this year of the Jubilee means a year of God's favor. It means a Kairos year And Jesus isn't just saying, okay, it starts today and you have 365 days to get in on this. No, he's saying we're entering a new season where what God did every 49 years in the Old Testament is now going to be available every day in this new era. Once, once this resurrection things happen, then living in a year of Jubilee, it's constant. And we all have access to the victory of Christ to experience it simply through faith. And and here's the thing. Jesus doesn't come to offer us partial freedom. He doesn't come to offer us uh, some new technique to say no to sin, but I still desperately want it inside. That's, That's not really freedom. Now, that's sin management, and it's better, that's better than giving in to sin, but it's not freedom. He wants to give us freedom from sin. He wants to free, no, no partial freedom. In, in the Old Testament, there was a story that was, uh, that w- was a, a, a preview of what would happen at the cross. It had to do with the nation of Israel. They had become enslaved in another nation. There were two million of them. They were slaves in Egypt. And God sent a man named Moses to deliver them. And Moses goes to Pharaoh with, with God's power, and he says, let them go. And Pharaoh says, no, and this goes on 10 times. But towards the last half of those times, Pharaoh's getting beaten down because every time he says, no, there's a new plague that comes on Egypt. And it's starting to really, de- starting to really impact the nation. And, uh, and finally, Pharaoh says, okay, you can go, but you can't go far. Stay within the boundaries of Egypt. All right, partial freedom. You can go worship God, but you can't go all the way. Don't go too far. And then, he, then next he says, and Moses, of course, says no to that. New plague, more, more power. Next is, okay, you can go. You can go outside Egypt, but not far. So God says no to that. New plague. Then Moses says, okay, you can go, but you, only the men can go. You can't take your families because I want to make sure you come back. And God says no to that. And then finally... He says, well, you can go take your families, but you can't take any of your money or your livestock or anything like that because he knows if he keeps them tied into his financial economy that he'll, he'll get them back and he'll still have his slaves. And to all of those acts of partial freedom, God says no. It was total freedom. 
And two million slaves got up and walked out of that nation and took plunder with them. Now, when has there been a time in history when two million slaves just simply get up and walk out of the nation they've been enslaved in? When's that ever happened? Without an army coming in and, 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 and devastation happening or the MOAB being dropped. You know what I mean? Mother of all bombs. That just doesn't happen. And why? Well, because it was God's power. It was God's power that delivered them. And it's the greatest display of power other than the cross and the resurrection that we've ever known in this world. But now we come to Jesus, and Jesus is facing not Pharaoh, who was a puppet of Satan and who was a picture of the enemy. Jesus comes actually to Satan, this fallen angel who is powerful, who, who has a pervasive influence throughout the whole world. And Jesus faces him when he goes to the cross, and Jesus defeats him at the cross. He's wounded in his heel. Jesus died, but he crushed Satan's head, and Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why we're here to celebrate today. That's why you and I can have freedom, because Jesus rose from the dead. So this, this is such a powerful truth. And I just want to underscore it more before I end here. But in um, John 10.10, John 10.10, Jesus says this, says the thief's purpose, meaning Satan, is to steal, kill, and look at that word, destroy. Satan is a destroyer. Jesus says my purpose when it comes to human beings is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now look at what it says in 1 John 3, 8, here we see the purpose. Why did Jesus come? It says, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Satan's thing is to bring destruction and mayhem. Jesus comes and he says, well, look, I'm just going to destroy you. I'm going to render you powerless. You're not going to have any say in this any longer. No power to, to control any longer. And so Jesus takes his power away. And he did that in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. It's real clear. It says, Jesus became a human being. And then you pick up, pick up the reading. That through death... He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. So Jesus became a human being so he could die as one of us because the penalty of sin is death. And because in in Genesis, God said, the day you step outside relationship with me, you're going to die spiritually and physically and all this other chaos has got to come into the world. And so Jesus faces the chaos and he takes it all upon himself. He absorbs it all into himself and he goes to the cross and in his death, he died for every one of us. And in that, he took away from Satan his power over this planet. And so he destroyed Satan, and Satan had had power over us because of our fear of what? Of death. Now, that doesn't mean literally always just, I'm afraid I'm going to die someday. It does mean that. Some people really do fear death, and, and but yet death in all of its forms, we, we, fear, we fear not having enough. We fear, we fear loss. Loss is a form of debt. 
So we fear relational loss. We fear losing our jobs. We fear not having enough money and losing our houses. And so on and on and on, we live with these fears that Jesus came to deliver us from. And not partially, but completely and totally. No negotiation with Satan. We're just going to destroy him, God says. We're going to take his authority and his power away. Now, he's still alive. And he still can speak. But here's what happens. He's like a landlord that you had that you were afraid of. And that tone of his voice, that landlord's voice gives you butterflies every time you hear it. But the building was bought by someone else. But this landlord now still comes and pounds on your door and demands rent. You don't owe him any rent anymore. He's no longer your landlord, but his voice still stirs something in you. And, and so you submit to it and you follow it. So, so the only power he has now is through deception, through us not understanding the totality of the victory of Christ and the completeness of our freedom in Christ to walk in freedom and to live out of the righteous heart that God has given us. And so you, you look on here at another verse. It says in Acts 2.24, but God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Okay, when Jesus went into that grave, he had already paid for the sins of the world. And it was only because of sin that death has any grip. And so Jesus had already taken care of all of that. So it's impossible for death to hold him. And, and because of that, God raises him from the dead, and he comes out of that grave in this new state of existence, this glorified state of existence, which enables him to, to, well, to still eat food, but also to pass through walls. If we had time, I'd show you that story. And also just to ascend straight into heaven in the form he was, he was in. And so he is glorified, and we are called then into that same glory. It, it says... Christ in you is the hope of glory. So Christ in us changes us and gives us freedom, total freedom. And we need to walk in that freedom. And you can walk in that freedom. The Bible says that we are united with him. And united means the same thing you would say if someone's married. I know for some of you guys it might seem weird to say, well, I'm married to Jesus. But all right, let's do this, okay? This is an act of humility. All right, guys, let's all, just the men right now say, I am married to Jesus, all right? I am married to Jesus. I am the bride of Christ. I am the bride of Christ. Now, the good news for that is when you're married, what is your spouse's is yours also and vice versa. And so being married to Jesus, and ladies, you are also. You're married to Jesus too, okay? That gives us access to his victory. Okay, folks, so listen, I'm not gonna end with this. It's right here. It's as close as our breath. His victory has reverberated throughout the centuries. The victory of the resurrection and the power of the resurrection is here today. Just reach out and take hold of it. And as we're worshiping, just say, say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I want to walk in true freedom. Let me walk in the true freedom that comes through your resurrection. So, Father God, thank you for... Uh, the, the work that you did when you raised Jesus from the dead. Thank you for the new life that we can have. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. And 
Holy Spirit, we just, we do welcome you here just to make this all so real in each one of our lives. So Holy Spirit, come, reveal yourself. Jesus' name, amen.